Chris Campbell, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we have Kaylee Kemmerly of Hub International with us, and we're also going to be joined by Ted Clayton of CRC Group. We're going to be taking a look at stock throughput policies and get an idea of what they're all about and how they could help your food business. But before we get started, I do want to take a moment to thank all of our listeners for joining us again this week. If you're new to the podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you're a veteran and haven't done so, we'd ask you to do the same. We'd also ask you to share this among your own social networks and your friends and family. We find that word of mouth is still the best way for this podcast to grow, so we're really appreciative of anything you can do to help us out there. And I'd like to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, and that's Hub International. Headquartered in Chicago, Hub International Limited is a leading full-service global insurance broker and financial services firm, providing risk management, insurance, employee benefits, retirement, and wealth management products and services. With more than 13,000 employees in offices located throughout North America, Hub's vast network of specialists brings clarity to a changing world with tailored solutions and unrelenting advocacy, so clients are ready for tomorrow. And for more information, please visit hubinternational.com. And as you know by now, you can find a link directly to that website in the description of this episode. So with that out of the way, let's jump right into it. Welcome to the show, Ted and Kaylee. Uh, Kaylee, could you start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about Hub? Thanks for having me, Chris. My name is Kaylee Kemmerly. I am a Senior Vice President at Hub International. I have been with Hub. I'm celebrating my eight-year anniversary this month. I've been in the industry for 11 years. Hub is the largest privately held broker in the world. We've been around since 1998. I am a part of one of our specialty practices, and that is the agribusiness practice with the segment of food and beverage. I am a part of a team of professionals that service the food and beverage industry. And how about you, Ted? Could you share a little bit about yourself and your company for our audience as well? Sure. Um, I'm Ted Clayton. I'm with CRC Insurance Services. Um, I serve as the office president for our, our facility in Santa Ana, California. I also serve as a senior property and ocean marine broker. Uh, CRC and Services is the second largest wholesaler in the United States, uh, placing billions of dollars of premium into the marketplace annually. Um, we've been around celebrating our lineage through our ownership with uh, Truist Financial Corporation and our insurance bank for over 100 years. Um, this is my eighth year at CRC. Uh, I've been in the insurance industry for 37 years, starting as an ocean marine underwriter for the Chubb Insurance Group, and I've worked for them in a vast array of locations, including London, Los Angeles, Canada, New York, New Jersey, and I call Southern California home now. All right. So it sounds like we have two experts that can help me answer a question, and that is, what is stock throughput insurance? When this first episode was pitched to me, I have to admit, I had no idea what this product was and how it could help a company. So I think the best place for us to start is to kind of take a look at what this actually is and maybe just define it, kind of set up some table stakes so we can continue through the discussion. So, uh, Ted, how about you start us off by kind of explaining what this product is, and then we can talk a little bit more about how it helps uh, specific food companies. But yeah, let's define it to start there. So could you help us out there? I can. So a stock throughput is essentially the marriage of any kind of coverage, be it ocean, transit, air transit, truck, rail shipment, uh, any kind of transit coverage married with the location inventory or stock portion of a risk. And it, it's basically put together to create a seamless approach to cover everything and for the insured through all stages of the supply chain, right? So it covers all direct physical loss or damage from any kind of external peril. You know, perils are things that cause loss. So it could be the theft, the fire of the vehicle, upset overturn, 
um, explosion, sinking. And in today's headline, we could have actually covered things for like, you know, missile strikes and torpedoes with what's going on in the Ukraine. Those are things that could have been picked up under a stock throughput policy. And it's uh, covered globally, anywhere it goes, at owned and non-owned locations and transit. But the idea is it's supposed to be a seamless cover that provides no gaps so that you don't have an argument in the case of a claim for your insured. Yeah, so I was going to say, it sounds almost like it's a catch-all kind of product that will really protect you in a lot of cases where maybe another type of insurance product wouldn't. So I just want to make sure, Kaylee, you don't have anything you want to add on that one? Yeah, Chris, I would just add, I tell all of my clients, I call it sleep insurance, if you will. So like Ted said, it's basically taking three policies into one, not necessarily have to schedule every location. There's a section for an unnamed locations limit for a small amount of coverage. So you wouldn't have to schedule every single little thing out there in transit. And the beauty of this policy is you can ensure your inventory no matter where in the world it is or at the process of it being manufactured at selling price. So it's a great policy. And I'll throw in one more caveat. They throw in coverages like earthquake, earthquake sprinkler leakage, wind and flood, which is really hard and expensive to get on your traditional property policies. So I know we're going to talk about how this affects the food industry, but it's a little bit more of table setting here, Kaylee. Can you tell us a little bit about what types of sectors we see this used most often? So it's used across the board, Chris. It can be a manufacturer, a wholesaler, a distributor, a retailer. So really all different types of businesses can have this policy. And when I look at my book of business, I would say probably 80% of my clients have this policy. And if they don't, it's something that I definitely talk to them about because it truly makes me uncomfortable if I don't have a client in this policy. And is that how you see it too, Ted? Is this something that you try to get most of your clients to work with and kind of sign up for? Yes, I'm a big advocate of this. I think Kaylee hit hit it hard with her comment about all the catastrophe coverages, the earthquake, wind, and flood, and rolling them together. But this seamless approach where you don't have to worry about, is it covered under a property program? Is it covered under an ocean marine program? Or is it covered under a transit program? And then different claims adjusters uh, is really one of the selling points. And the fact that it could be customized um, to different industries or different types of people, even in the food industry. Example, you could have a farm exposure where coverage could actually physically start the moment they harvest that good and take it through the entire process until it gets, you know, freeze dried or canned or however it gets done and moved all the way to this shelf in the store. Um, could do the same thing with raw materials that are coming in from overseas or a manufactured product, uh, shipments to go to a you know, distribution center or to some ultimate buyer. Um, there's a wide variety of ways we can apply it to industries, period. So to my understanding, and like I said at the top of the uh, episode here, I'm a little ignorant on it, but I do think at least talking to both of you, it seems that this has more of a focus on the inventory itself instead of a location or, you know, some kind of qualifying event. So could you speak to that a little bit more, Kaylee, how this kind of differentiates itself from other products in the marketplace? Sure. So essentially this policy only covers your inventory. So when it leaves the manufacturer while it's in transit, if it gets on a boat or a vessel in the international port headed over to the United States when it's at the U.S. port 
and then going to the domestic various locations of that insured. So if that inventory while in that process is damaged at all with the covered peril, theft, like I said, wind, flood, earthquake, um, fire, that is all covered under the stock throughput policy. And the way that it's insured, depending how the policy is written, it can be insured at that selling price. And Ted, anything else you'd like to add to that? I'd just like to add that, you know, if we're looking at the insurance industry from 40,000 feet right now, there's been a lot of pressure to insureds because their prices are going up. The premiums have been increasing. If you really get deeper into that, what's happening is uh, the availability of limit that insurance carriers are willing to provide has become more limited and thus more expensive. So a stock throughput could remove some of that pressure by taking the inventory values out of a, a traditional property program. Therefore, they don't need to buy as much limit on the property program or as much business income because we can ensure the, their absolute profit with selling price and helps them find a smoother transition through the whole changing marketplace in insurance. So this is the Food Institute podcast. So let's talk a little bit about food. And I guess we'll throw this one over to you, Kaylee, to start. But what types of food companies do you think would most benefit from this type of insurance? I know you said that there's a broad appeal, but what kind of maybe even a better idea of looking at this is what kind of companies are underrepresented when it comes to this type of insurance? Do you have any insight there? I think companies that are really hard to place this insurance with are and Ted, you could probably speak more to that because you see a lot of these risks more on your desk than I do. I would say some farming exposure. I would say seafood exposure, some meat exposures. This is all you know, raw product. And also um, a lot of the wineries are really hard to place right now just due to what's happened in California with all of the fires. Ted, I don't know if you have any more color to add to that. I thought I was talking about farm exposures earlier. You mentioned seafood. Um, things we have on, you know, that I'm working on right now would be uh, citrus grower. And from the moment they pluck the oranges all the way through the process where they sell it to the person that turns it into the juice. Um, we pick up all that. Apples the same way, uh, including some of the um, problems that come with the, the gases they let off that ripen other fruits around them. Seafood from the time that goes from the out of the water to the buy boat, all the way through the canning process or whatever it happens to be. Um, sometimes people manufacture a product, and I'm looking at one right now where there's an interesting claim um, that if they had a stock throughput done correctly, would have been covered. They had a shipment of jellies they manufactured, and the truck turned over, and these strawberry jellies, for some reason, were in the front of the truck, and that's the part that spilled on the highway. And there were other flavors, but the the buyer, which was a large grocery store chain, refused the entire shipment because they couldn't give them the full flavor lot on the whole thing. Their insurance company paid for the damaged strawberry jellies and then told them, sorry about the other one, but that's not our problem. There is coverage under a stock throughput under something called broken lot, where we would have picked up 100% of that shipment, 100% of the sales that the insured would now have lost, and then figure out how to sell the product in a secondary market afterwards. So it seems to me there's a lot of customability here. Um, I know that you brought that up a little bit earlier, Ted. So I'll throw that over to Kaylee. Can you talk a little bit about how customizable these products can be? You know, and basically, if you're a food industry company looking for this kind of product, you know, what could you expect when you kind of go through that process? Well, I think it just depends. I think something, and and we're dealing with it right now, aren't we, Ted? With 
the contracts between the insured and their vendors. And I think in information is key and it's king in these situations. You know, when we, when we give our submissions to Ted, we have to have a lot of information and we have to be very clear about the exposure and about the risk. And I think what's really important is the contracts between the insured and their vendors and who is responsible for what at what time. Because if that inventory is technically not under the insured's care, custody, and control via contract, but they're linked to a PO, they made a sale with Costco, and you know that vessel or that container on the vessel falls to the bottom of the ocean, well, that insured is out a sale, right? So I think it can be tailored specifically however we would like to, right, Ted? I mean, it just depends what the carriers are willing to do, but I think we just need to be very specific in our submission processes of what the insured is looking for and what they need and what they need covered. Yeah, I think you're, you're right on that. Um, so like I said, I've been doing this for 37 years. And one of the things that keeps me excited and why, you know, I like, and I love what I do is everybody got a unique product, unique way they do things and has their own, uh, demands or needs for proper coverage. And I've liked it. The stock throughput is almost like a blank slate that we can start with. And we draw the picture of what the insured needs. Do they have a product that's going to be uh, temperature controlled? And how long, if it is out of the temperature, is it still viable? Um, so as an example, a standard market may require a 12 or 24 hour time delay if there's a breakdown in the temperature. Well, if the product only has a six hour life, outside of temperature, that deductible is going to give basically no coverage to the insured. So the fact that we can tailor and make them and customize them around the actual product, the insured's needs and responsibilities is what I think has always been a great thing about a stock throughput. Um, and one of the things that keeps me excited about it and keeps me challenged, frankly, every time I get look at a different account. So taking a look to current global you know, situation here. We have supply chain disruptions. We have inflation. You know, we already mentioned the war in Ukraine. So there's a lot going on out there right now that could kind of complicate shipping uh, and complicate, you know, getting that first product kind of, we'll take that citrus example, getting it from the Grove to the facility where it turns it into orange juice. There's a lot of things that could kind of get in the way. So taking a look at all of that, what else are you seeing in the market that would make this insurance like a really attractive offering for a food company? And I think we could start with Ted on this one. Well, I think first and foremost, right, is, and this, this seems very simple, but it's, it's important, is Kaylee used the term, it's sleep insurance, right? So what could happen in that process until I, from my, I pluck the, the crop in this particular case until I get it to the manufacturing process and I get paid for it, whole thing. Um, the products are, are written around an all-risk high peril. It says it's basically covered unless we tell you not. So it's up to the insurance company to prove that it's not. Um, so you're going to have some, you know, intrinsic issues or kind of like always going to happen with certain products where they're going to ripen. They, so they start to die from the moment you pluck them. So you got to get them out there. So you have to understand the timing and how to get the thing to get to the market. What's the alternative? If the, we need a different mode of transportation, what happens? These are all the things that get brought into the underwriting process because, you know, insurance companies get this bad reputation as something 
sometimes about not wanting to cover claims and doing things. I will tell you the opposite's been my experience uh, in the stock throughput marketplace, particularly out of the London underwriters who are kind of excited about being part of this solution to help get you know, food product or clothing or whatever they're happening to be insuring out to the consumer for everybody to enjoy. And they take pride in that. And anything you'd like to add to that, Kaylee? I'll give you a real life example of where this policy is great. I think, you know, when we talk about what's happening in the world and a lot of the delays of what's been happening with the ports. So I have a client right now, we're going through a claim um, and they had product fourth quarter of last year that was sitting, it got shipped late and it literally sat at the ports for two to three months. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, this policy will respond because of delays and and it won't. But I will tell you, if there's a covered peril having to do with the delay and the inventory gets damaged. So for instance, this inventory, since it it was so hot in the containers, it caused sweating and it caused the product to be damaged. And that had to do to weather. So that's technically a covered peril. So kind of like what Ted said, um, we're still going through that claim right now and they haven't made a determination on it. But I just think this policy versus your traditional, you know, ocean cargo, inland marine and property policy, it's just more broad with how the form is. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm thinking here, right? So if there's a port delay and you have some clothing items, maybe the only peril for that product is maybe it's not going to be in season by the time it hits the U.S. ports. But really for a perishable item, you know, you have that small window to actually get it into the States, get it to a production facility, retail, wherever it's going. But right, so you have that small uh, window. So I'm thinking that this is really a great option for food companies. So is that something you would agree with, Ted? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, uh, I would caution that it just because it got there late, because it took a long time to come across the ocean, that's not covered by the policy, right? Right. But it comes out and they've got damage to it, so they've missed the sale because they're highly seasonal in what they what their products are sold for on the market for. You know, I, I can't think of an exact exact example of what they might be doing it, but it could be something around the holidays or a particular kind of meat cut that you need for a certain religious observances and things. Um, and if you've got a loss, you've missed that. Um, you've lost that sale, but anybody can give you back the replacement of the item. So it costs me, you know, $10 a pound to manufacture or a particular cut of meat, but you've missed the sale. The soft throughput will give you that selling price on it to make sure you've you continued that profit through the whole thing. And it removes that question, um, kind of what Kaylee was trying to, to talk about, while it sits out there and, and what happened? Did it, did it sit in the ship too long? Does it hurt on the domestic transit? Did it sit in the customs warehouse and, and get damaged by water or whatnot? And there's no question on who is going to pay the claim because there's no one insurance carrier involved on it. Now, the whole idea is to get money back into the insurance hands to make them whole. And that's what I think is the whole goal for the stock throughput. I know Kaylee just shared a real life example. I was wondering, Ted, if you have one, either a situation where it was a client that actually benefited from this, or maybe even a client that opted out and had a problem with it. So I was wondering if you have any kind of real life examples we could talk through here. Well, I did have the one we just talked about with, with, with the general mm-hmm. manufacturer that did that. Um, I have another, another one, a little more esoteric, um, at a beer brewery. So they're manufacturing their own beer. And they happen to manufacture a sour beer. 
And in the process, they chose not to buy a stock throughput. So somebody sent them the wrong cans. I guess there's a specific can that has to be a little more durable because the sour beer will eat through it, uh, parts of the aluminum. So as they were sending out these cans of beer, they started to leak everywhere and to burst in the process. Um, their transit company said, nope, that was an, a problem with the processing. That's not us. The property company said, hey, that, that happened while it was in transit. It's not us, All right? But had they had a stock throughput policy that covered it from the moment they started the brewing process through the whole canning process of the ultimate delivery, that is a covered loss under the policy. Instead, the insurers out there pointing fingers at everybody, and it's still being adjudicated, and I don't know if they're going to find a solution where the guy's going to get paid. Yeah, and sounding more and more like stock throughput insurance is definitely sleep insurance, as Kaylee said at the beginning of the uh, call here. I want to talk a little bit about other types of insurance here, too. So like I said, I'm not an expert in the field, but from what I can tell, property insurance appears to be going up in price, uh, and it can be somewhat restrictive. A lot of the reasoning we've already kind of talked about with the different qualifying events here. But I'm wondering, is stock throughput a realistic alternative for some companies? Is this something that every company can turn to? What would you say about that, Kaylee? Definitely. And something that I don't think Ted and I have touched on, you know, more benefits of the stock throughput is you have lower catastrophe deductibles, right? Versus your traditional, you know, property and earthquake policies, which is really beneficial. Another thing is if you have a stock throughput policy, you are reducing your business interruption exposure on your traditional property policy. So that's another big benefit is it lowers the premium there. Um, and like we talked about prior, it's just continuous coverage throughout the whole process. So those are definitely some more benefits of it. And anything you'd like to add, Ted? I'm going to put something around her, her comment on the deductible first. Traditional property insurance, which I also place daily, will put a percentage deductible against the value of the goods to cover a catastrophe thing. So you've got something in a warehouse that gets hit by a hurricane, if something that's involved in a flood, or something sitting there and damaged by an earthquake. So if you had $10 million sitting there and they had a 5% deductible, you have a half a million dollar deductible before you get paid for that claim, right? Whereas the stock throughput marketplace has been applying flat deductibles, so let's say $100,000 or $50,000 or $150,000, there's no question about what your deductible is going to get. That's especially important if you have a warehouse with a seasonality change and all of a sudden your values go from that, say, $10 million, on the average, all of a sudden you've got $25 million there. Your deductible now becomes 5% of $25 million, whereas it's a predictable known quantity with a stock throughput. Second thing I like to add about it is if you do it right, a stock throughput will also add a profit-sharing provision into it. So what that means is the insurance company will take a percentage of the premium subtract out any claims that may or may not may have occurred on the policy. And if there's a positive balance, they'll typically split that number 50-50 with the insured as a return premium. So if you have a $100,000 premium, and let's say they said we're going to split up to 30% of it, and you had no losses, the insured would get back $15,000. So 50% of 30%. And if you do a stock throughput, that's usually a, co a coverage extension you should always have 
which you're not going to get in the standard property program at all these days. Yeah, that sounds like a very attractive aspect. Can you talk about that a little bit more, Kaylee? Maybe kind of showcase how many of your clients when you're working on stock throughput, is this something that's pretty standard? Is this something that people opt for? What would you say? You know, it's interesting. So I do a lot in the fashion um, arena and I feel like that industry has completely caught on to it. Food and beverage, we're meeting a lot of companies that just have the traditional, you know, ocean marine cargo policy and then a property policy. So they definitely need to be educated. And as we're working with our future clients, that's definitely something that we're advising them on. Um, You know, Chris, I'd love to give another claims example if I could. Absolutely. So a couple years ago, and these guys were technically a startup, they were a coffee manufacturer out of Boston, and they roasted all their beans down in South America. And as we were getting their insurance in place for them, I presented a stock throughput option. And they wanted to see an ocean cargo option too. So I did both. And we're not comparing apples to apples because the coverage on the stock throughput was a lot more broad versus the ocean cargo policy. So because they were technically a startup and, you know, funds were tight, they wanted to go with the ocean cargo policy. And I said, okay, this is not my recommendation, but okay. Well, turns out a couple months later, they had a loss down in South America as their beans were being roasted in the process of being manufactured, their product was seized down in South America and it ended up being destroyed. So the cost price at that point of where it was in the transit process was $125,000. Their selling price, it was linked to a PO was $2 million. So they got their cost price because that's what the policy would insure them for, not for the selling price because it wasn't a finished product. So they were out that $2 million sale. So, so you're saying that a stock throughput option likely would have been able to protect them in that, in that scenario. Correct. If underwritten the right way. Yes. hundred percent. And I just wanted to ask if you guys have any closing remarks. I just want to say, Chris, I always tell, you know, my clients and future clients, this policy, what I love about it is it's you control your own destiny, right? And essentially if something happens, this is your policy to make a claim on and you know, you let the insurance company do the rest with subrogating against whoever it is to subrogate against. So um, definitely worth the money and the hassle and the headache for sure. And any closing comments from you, Ted? When you look at a, you know, if you're a, a food product insured, you know, you run a business doing that and you're listening to this, this podcast and we've used the term ocean marine or ocean cargo, you go, None of that applies to me because I don't buy a product overseas or I don't sell a product overseas. You're missing the boat. And I use the boat being kind of funny because there's no boat involved here. This does not have to have international shipments or international sales involved in it to be something that we could craft and do for a company that does 100% of their business domestically in the United States. Um, and that's one of the, the things I just want to point out that it's, we keep using terms like ocean marine and shipments overseas and Latin America or Asia in the conversations we've had, but just because you're, you're sitting in Fresno, California, and you're doing something with walnuts or pecans, and you're shipping only inside the United States, that is still something we could handle for you under a stock throughput policy. It does not have to have the international component. 
All right. It's a very interesting conversation. I definitely learned a lot. I want to thank both of you for spending some time with us today on the Food Institute podcast. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. I want to thank Kaylee and Ted for their time once again today. And I want to thank Hub International for sponsoring this episode. Remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off. Thank you.